0: of three things that make God great in your life today. Can you thank Him for Him right now? Think of three things that make God great. We know He's great all by Himself, but let's have a testimony just between us and Him today. Thank you for your great love in my life, Father. Thank you for your great sacrifice, Jesus. Holy Spirit, thank you for all the gifts that you bring. Thank you for changing me, rearranging me. Oh, God, I thank you today for the great family that you've given me. I thank you for the great talents and abilities that I get to use for your glory. Thank you for the great life that comes with so much design and purpose. A few more moments. Just you and the Lord. Great, great, great are you, Lord. You're great. You're a great God worthy to be praised. We bask in your greatness today. We won't let this world take away our testimonies. If you're going through a current season, don't let what your season is now take away all the testimonies of the past. Remember that he's still great. He's been good. And he'll be good again. And he's even good now if you don't see what's happening He's working it together for our good, the Bible says. Great are you, Lord. Prepare our hearts today, God, for your word to transform us, to receive your power. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Let's bless the Lord together. God bless you. Welcome to church this morning. You may be seated. I don't know about you, but sometimes I just need to testify between me and God and just tell him in my prayer closet how grateful I am for all that he's done. I want to encourage you to do that. What we do here in this church during the worship time under the lights with the great band and worship team, and aren't they doing great? Let's bless the Lord for them. Amen. What we're doing is just practice for you so that you can do it on your own. Really, that's why the church is gathering together, worshiping in a way like this, so that on your own, you can pray without ceasing, worship in your car, worship in the morning. That's why we gather together, so to get get practice, to get His Word, to get encouraged. Amen? Amen. Today, I want to talk to you about power from on high. Turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Luke, chapter 24. Luke chapter 24, and I want to uh, welcome those guests who have come for uh, Operation Save America. If you've come to do work at the abortion clinic and preaching, can you guys stand up, and then our church will applaud for you. Is there anybody here from that, that movement? Was it all the first service? It was all first service. Give a hand clap that they came, okay? I don't know if any were coming to the second. Their information is in the front. Uh, if they were here, they would tell you about it, but it's a, it's a basic movement similar to Bevy's um, Jesus Matters movement. It's called Operation Save America, and today was, uh, this week it was Save Chicago. We've been doing work with them on the streets. I was with them yesterday, and uh, we're so grateful that they're here. We're thankful that we're becoming a hub for the radical and on fire around the country. We're glad that they know they can come here, use our facility for free, amen, and to go out and preach the word. And I've never understood why they charge for conferences in the church. If I'm a pastor, you've already paid for my salary by me being a pastor, amen? Why charge you to come back? And then number two, if you're a giver to the church, you've already paid for the chairs. You should say to the pastor that's wanting to charge you to come back into the same building, say, Pastor, how did you get a salary in those chairs in that building to begin with? It's like you're taking all of our tithes and offerings and now getting double from it, you know? It's like, no, you're a member of the church, but you can't ba- you can't walk through those doors now on Friday at 7 o'clock because so-and-so's here, and it's a big deal, and you got got to pay us more makes absolutely no sense to me I believe in tithes and offerings I believe in that principle I've written about that and I think that's the simplest way to live and if you can't afford if you can't afford Bishop big bucks then don't bring in Bishop big bucks well if I bring in Bishop big bucks he costs twenty thousand dollars plus he has to only have you know green M&Ms and this and that well then just stop bringing him or her in just have somebody from the church preach I mean if we're going to do something like that amen And I think Rudy did a great job. Let's give it up for Rudy. Don't want to take for granted the pastoral interns. We're raising up ministers here. Power from on high. Let's get to the text today. What we want to do is learn how to receive power from on high. Jesus speaking, Luke 24, verse 46. We're going to see how to receive it. He told them, this is Jesus, this is what is written, the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in His name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what My Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Let's say "power from on high" together. One, two, three. Power from on high. There it is. Amen. The Book of Luke, written by Luke. He was a historian at that time with Paul, having apostolic authority to gather together the testimony of Jesus Christ and add to what we would call the gospel, the life and and death and burial and resurrection of Jesus. Here, Luke adds to us something that is unique to his gospel. This is not found in any of the gospels, uh, Matthew, Mark, or John. All of them have their own unique spin. And here's one of those places from Luke. And what Luke is showing us that's important is that Jesus is promising to send the Holy Spirit. Why do you think Jesus, or or rather Luke, would add Jesus' words here? It's because he's also the author of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, where we see what the apostles did after Jesus left. So he thought it was important to make a connection between his gospel to his history of the church. Now understand this. If you were a church uh, started by Paul, more than likely you would just have that. Letter that your region had received. So let's say you were a part of the Ephesian congregation. That means you lived in the, the area of Ephesus, that city. You would probably have that letter, the letter of uh, the letter to the Ephesians, and then you would have Luke's gospel. You would then be hearing the stories about what the apostles are doing. At some point, you would probably receive from Luke the book of Acts, and then probably for your lifetime. In the early church, that's what you would have. You would have the gospel of the one who was the closest to planting your church. For Paul, it would be Luke's gospel. Then you would have the history of the church, and then the epistles written to you. Over time, they were able to travel and get the letter to Philippi, that city, or to Colossians, or the letters written by Peter to his disciples, or James and Judas. Everybody tracking with me here? Uh, Not really. Really? Okay, let me kind of review this again. The Bible was written by men inspired by God. How many believe that? When those books were written, they were not given in 66 book addiction. Uh, When the Bible was, was written, it wasn't written at 66 books at once. Uh, The Old Testament had books added to it over time, and so did the New Testament. I am speaking specifically now to how the New Testament Christians, basically the disciples of the disciples, how they would live. Are you guys with me now? Okay, so I'm trying to make the connection of why this is important that we see Luke as the author of this unique information, because now we're going to go to his historical account. We're going to go to the book of Acts. Are you all ready for the book of Acts? Come on. Acts chapter 1, verses 3 and onward. Same author, but now instead of focusing on the life of Jesus, he is now going to focus on the starting of the church. But he's going to show the overlap. There's going to be overlap here. And he's going to kind of remind us of the things Jesus was saying before at the end. So as the gospel ends, the book of Acts begins. As the gospel what? Ends, the book of Acts begins. Now, just let me pause here. I could just speak in tongues really loud, shout at you, get back on the organ and say, come and get some, or I can explain to you power from on high. Would you guys help me today? Okay. Because that's how a lot of us were raised, right, in Pentecostal churches. You basically caught it. It wasn't taught. What I want to do is make sure it's taught today as well as caught. I want you to understand we as Pentecostals, and by the way, if you've only heard about us online and you've showed up to this church and you're wondering what makes us so weird, that's what, this is what makes us weird. We actually believe in the gifts of the Spirit. We believe in the modern day application of God's power on the earth. But here's what's really good about our church is we don't want you to feel like you have to come onto the on-ramp going 100 miles an hour to drive on the freeway of MPI. We do believe that There's a slow turn that you can make onto the on ramp of our church. That's why we do one on one discipleship. We want you to know what you're getting into, what's going on, and we want to explain it thoroughly to the point where you'll be like, Pastor, it's time for me to go home. I think you've explained it enough, okay? Or you'll be like, Pastor, just stop preaching. I'm running to the front and coming to get some power from on high. Jesus promised it, He said it would come. How many want to receive it if it's for you? My job in the next few moments is to prove it is for you and then I think I can show you a way that you'll know you have received it. So Luke writing in the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 3, after his suffering, talking about Jesus, he presented himself to them, talking about the apostles, and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. So obviously, Thomas wasn't the only one that needed Jesus to prove himself. After even that, some of the disciples were still doubting. So Jesus' time is limited, and he's probably like at some point, guys, when are you just going to get over it? I'm resurrected from the dead. Can we move on now? to some other things but probably it went on for quite some time because it literally says Luke Luke records that he kept giving them convincing proofs it's really me it's really me it's really me I'm not a ghost you're not hallucinating you're not high you haven't drinking too much wine you haven't joined a cult I have really rose from the dead but what happens next after he appeared to them over a period of 40 days he spoke about the kingdom of God See, a lot of us would want to know all about heaven. That's not what he was talking about. What he was focused on was us understanding how heaven was supposed to come to earth. The kingdom of God was established during the time of Adam and Eve, but lost during the fall. And from that point, he's been wanting to get us back to where it all began. When you look at the end of the book of Revelation, it has all the symbology and all the, the metaphors and descriptions, and I take many of them to be literal, of what the Garden of Eden was like. And so Jesus's priority is not to make us disembodied spirits that we can be like Casper the Ghost floating up there somewhere, or that we can be uh, just, you know, living out our fantasies. You know, a lot of times people talk about what they're going to do in heaven. I'm going to do this and have them do that. No, let me tell you what you're going to do to heaven. You're going to be up in heaven worshiping and waiting for Jesus to come squash some people like grapes. That's what you're doing in heaven. You're not fishing in heaven. You're not getting yourself a pink or a red motorcycle up there. What you are doing in heaven is worshiping and waiting and calling out for the kingdom to come. And then when the kingdom comes, you are not once again getting a pink convertible. This is what you're doing. You're becoming a king and a priest and ruling and reigning with Christ for a thousand years upon the earth. After the thousand year reign, we see a little taste of it in those last couple of verses, what it looks like for the eternal kingdom. And once again, you're probably not in a pink convertible. You're probably doing something more similar to the thousand year reign. And then sometimes people are like, Well, how is that going to be fun? Think about it like this everything you and I do now for fun, we will have in Christ, and we can just cut out the middleman. We can cut out the middleman of rock climbing and have the adventure of rock climbing by being in God's presence. We can cut out the middle thing of sex and have the the pleasure of the fullness of what sex was meant to do by not needing two bodies to get together on a lonely night or during a COVID quarantine. You can have that in the presence of the Lord because the Bible says in his presence is the fullness of joy and at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. So the pleasures of all life are found in Christ. So all we're doing now as C.S. Lewis said is we're playing in a puddle while God has the ocean. And so some of you can only think about heaven in the term of a pothole puddle. And Jesus says, no, I got a whole ocean of pleasure where you can just skip all the little doodads and doodles you've been doing to get that little ounce of it. Are you with me? You'll be, di- you'll be diving into the pleasures and the glory of God. And I do think that it will be interesting what we do. But the point is, is that Jesus was focusing them on the kingdom. And then on one occasion, he was eating with them. He gave them this command. Now remember, it's the crossover between Luke and Acts. Now he adds a little bit to it. Do not leave Jerusalem, very specific, but wait for the gift my father promised you, which you have heard me speak about. Well, when did we hear him speak about it? We heard him speak about it at the end of Luke. Don't leave. I'm going to give you power from on high. How many remember what we just read about five minutes ago? Okay, that's what he was talking about. For John baptized with with water but in a few days you'll be baptized with the holy spirit Power from on high, Holy Spirit coming on you and I, and it will look like, feel like, be a representation of what water looks and feels like. That's an example. It's not meant to be taken so literal that we get lost in it, but it's an example. When you went into the water, was there any part of you that was dry when you got baptized? Maybe just the first part, but let me just say, when you got submerged, was there any part of you that was dry? No, if you were submerged, all of you was wet. Are you listening? I mean, it's like if I put my hand in the water, what part is dry? The point is none of it's dry. It's all wet. It's submerged. What is Jesus saying here? That in that same way, baptizo in the Greek, you're going to be submersed through and through with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. That's what God is going to do for you. Now, Jesus then ascends to heaven, Right? He goes back to be with the Father. Let's see what happens next in the book of Acts. Go to Acts chapter, um, let's, uh, well, you know, let's keep going here. Let's go to Acts chapter 6. I skipped ahead, but let's go back to my original notes. Okay, so then he asked them, or rather, then they asked him, at this time, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? I think I could spend a little time here and be helpful How many know that the Jewish people missed Jesus because they believed that in Jesus' coming, there would be the redemption of the Jewish people, the deliverance, and also the ruling and reigning as the Messiah king, right? But they didn't see Messiah reign as king, so they missed the deliverance part of it. But he had to come twice. And so at this point, Jesus has literally been with them for 40 days teaching about the kingdom. And what do they now ask him? Are you now going to do everything? And he had literally just explained to them everything he had to do. And they're like, are you going to do it now? Like two days later, are you going to do it now? Has anybody ever traveled with a kid? Are we there yet? And this is the whole point here. He's explained this thing to them. And then they go, are we going to do it now? Are we going to do it now? Jesus, you're going to do it now. And he literally looks at him and he goes, it is not for you to know the times or the days the Father has set by his own authority. This is not what is important for you to understand. He will come back. He will keep his word. And by the way, when he ascends to heaven, are they not still looking at him going, What are you doing? And he's literally telling them, I have to go away, that the Holy Spirit will come. That's already been discussed in the Gospels. You know, he's saying that I have to go, that you can go and, uh, you know, do the Great Commission, expand the kingdom of God. So it's not just Israel, it's also Gentiles. And they have asked these questions time and time again. And literally, even to the last moment when he ascends to heaven, they're like, Is this it, Jesus? I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And he's like, I have told you what you are supposed to do. And here he says, he says, it's not about the time. It's not about the dates. So we shouldn't be concerned about trying to know the exact time when Christ comes back. But you will receive what? Power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Are we in Jerusalem today? Are we in Judea today? Are we in Samaria today? Are we in the ends of the earth today? Yes, we're at that last part. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes. A cloud hid him from their sight. And then, like I said, they kept staring up there until the angel said, what are you doing? He's going to come down the same way he came. So that means any false Christ from the Philippines to uh, you know, Puerto Rico or from David Koresh in Texas, we know these people cannot be the Christ because every eye will see him as he returns, the Bible says. Okay, so let's just summarize right here. Jesus said in the book of Luke, don't leave until you are clothed with power from on high. In the book of Acts, we're told specifically what that meant. Don't leave Jerusalem until you are baptized with the Holy Spirit as you were baptized with water. Now let's go to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost came, pente meaning 50. So it's the, the harvest festival of the Jews 50 days after Passover. We learned already that he was teaching them for 40 days. So that means they must have been in the upper room for about 10 days by themselves waiting. When that day of Pentecost came, They were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each one of them. Somebody say each one of them. Thank you. And all of them. Somebody say all of them. All of them. All 120, male, female, young, old, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now let's pause right here before we start doing the cry of the banshee. Because that's what people think we're doing when we're speaking in tongues, right? By the way, that's not my tongue. I'll never mock my tongue. Some comedians do. That's not for me. So be careful. But anyways, before we get into that part and what has become known as our uh, you know, signature, you know you're in a Pentecostal church if you hear this, uh, or a charismatic church, and now you know where at least the word uh, Pentecostal got attributed to us because we, we look to this day. The Baptists got the name from what? What do you think Baptists are named after? baptism, right? And so we're named after Pentecost because that was the day the Holy Spirit came down, also known as charismaniacs, I mean charismatics. Uh, And the word charis is in their gifts. That's why we get the, the word, the Greek word is gift. But let's just stop before we look at the tongues, okay? Let's just stop and just understand this. Is there anything that we have read from the end of Luke with power on high, to the Acts chapter 1 that the kingdom of God is going to come after all of these things have happened, like literally the kingdom coming. And what I want you to do is to go be my witnesses having the same power, the same power that everybody else has had in the, in the Bible. I'm giving that to you. Is there anywhere in there talk of salvation? Does he ever say when you speak in tongues, you're saved? Does he say the Holy Spirit will come on you and you'll be saved? No, see, this is where we start to get into confusion. People are now not understanding that there's two actions, two roles, or or rather two duties, two things that the Holy Spirit does in the believer's life. Go to John chapter 3, verse 3. Jesus taught that we have to be born again and born again by the Holy Spirit. What people try to do is they try to confuse being baptized with the Spirit with being born by the Spirit. I'm going to show you why that's important in just a few moments. Uh, as you look up here, Jesus said, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. Let's go to John 3, 5, just working through the text right here. In John chapter 3, verse 5, he says, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Now, sometimes people want to now say water is baptism, and baptism will be mentioned at some point in the book of Acts after they've been filled with the Holy Spirit. I do not believe this is baptism because it's never mentioned in the book of John that the water that saves is baptism. So I do not think that is baptism. I can make an argument at a different time, but just track with me with the spiritual rebirth. Everybody say spiritual. Because whatever that water is, we know if we don't have the spirit, we can't get spiritually reborn. That's all the point that I'm trying to make here. What I believe the water is, is a reiteration of the spirit, and that's the washing of the word. The Holy Spirit uses the word of God. That is the seed of God. That is the washing of God. It is the word. I can do that at another time. But my point is, how are we born again? Are we born again by the spirit to speak in other tongues? Are we born again by uh, having an evidence of having signs and miracles, or are we simply born again by the Spirit making us a new creation? Well, let's find out by going to the end of the book of John. What was John's point about receiving the Spirit being born again? Remember, that's John chapter 3. Go all the way to the end of the book of John, John chapter 20, and you'll see how the Holy Spirit is imparted to the disciples. Now, you remember I told you that each uh, gospel writer has its own, they have their own unique uh, parts of their story. There's a lot that's similar, but they have their own unique parts. Look at John, John chapter 20, verse 21 and 22. This is unique to John. John also has three or or excuse me, four, 14, 15, 16, and 17 entirely new teachings to the life of Jesus, okay? And guess what the the priority of those or the, the main focus of those chapters are? The Holy Spirit. And Jesus glorification. Why am I saying this? Everybody track with me. In the book of John, it talks about being born again. No other apostle really brings that up in that way. He then spends a great deal of time in 14 and 16 directly focusing on the Holy Spirit. And then he ends his book saying this. Jesus said, peace be unto you. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive what? The The Holy Spirit. Well, hold on. We might have a contradiction here because Luke in the book of Acts says, wait for the Holy Spirit. But in John's commentary on Jesus's life and and, and inspired speech of Jesus, they received the Holy Spirit while Jesus was still there. Do you guys see a potential contradiction? Let's be honest. It's a potential contradiction. Jesus says, wait, wait, wait. I got to go to send the Holy Spirit. Wait, wait, wait. Don't leave. The Holy Spirit's going to come. And yet here in the book of John, he's doing a Benny Hinn move. He's breathing that hot breath on him. Are you listening? Jesus breathing that hot breath on him like Benny Hinn breathing all over him. Now we have one of two, and this is in my my time of studying the scholarship, we only really have one of two solutions to this problem, with number three being a contradiction, which I don't believe the Bible contradicts itself for other reasons, so I generally start with trying to harmonize. There's only really two ways to harmonize this. Number one, people who do not believe the way we do, traditional Baptists and other church groups, they will say that this is symbolic, symbolic. That when Jesus was breathing that hot breath on them, nothing happened. And that Luke and the book of Acts shows when the Holy Spirit really came. The other solution is exactly what I think happened. Jesus breathed his Holy Spirit on them. He breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, why do I think it's not symbolic? Because the entire time Jesus has been building up to this, and this is now after he's rose from the dead before the ascension, right? And he's now completing what he started. And then when you go back to the notes, please, into the book of Acts, Acts chapters 1 and 2, do you hear anything referring to salvation? Like, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you'll be saved. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, your sins will be forgiven. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, etc., cetera, et cetera. No, what is the language of Acts chapter 1? Scroll back up, please. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. What is the language? You will receive what? Power. Does it say salvation? No, because the audience he is speaking to has already encountered the Holy Spirit as it pertains to salvation. So now I can untangle a lot of false doctrine for you. There is a group called the Oneness Pentecostals who have caused a lot of issues for us over the last 80 years because they look like us and sound like us. They're a little bit crazier than us, but they confuse people because they say, you're not saved unless you speak in tongues, not to mention be baptized in Jesus' name and Confess your sins, etc. And so, where does that confusion come from? Because they're saying, Well, can you be saved without the Holy Spirit? And all of us would say, No, of course I can't be saved without the Holy Spirit. Well, then what happens when the Holy Spirit comes? Well, I get baptized, I speak in tongues. And so, they take the salvific experience and crunch it into Acts and say, That's what's being demonstrated here. And really, it's not when you come into the book of Acts, you're supposed to have understood, at least from what John had given us, that these folks had already been. And regenerated. These are born again disciples waiting for the second act of the Holy Spirit upon their lives. So everybody take a deep breath. Number one, if you do not speak in tongues and have not received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but you believe in Jesus, we believe you're saved. Okay? We believe you're going to heaven. We do not think you are less than a Christian of any kind and those who speak in tongues are not better Christians than you. I've heard devil tongues before, are you listening? So I'm this I am not in any way trying to diminish someone's salvation experience. We who are known as Trinitarian Pentecostals simply believe that the Holy Spirit has a second work to do in our lives. And this is what I say to my friends who come from different traditions who are not necessarily close to it but are a little bit shy. You're kind of just, you know, tapping your foot in there. You know, just a sign if you want to jump in. Here's my thing. Do you see an expiration date to the gifts... The experience of these first disciples in the Bible. Do you see where it's going to go different for you than it did for them? Because he says, I've got power for you. I've got power for you. You know, receive the power. Do you see that power being sucked up off the earth? And now when demons come around you, you have to run scared and go, oh, me, oh, my. There's no power to cast these things out. Do you now feel like God doesn't want to give you prophecy? He did it before in the past, but now he's just like, figure it out. You're on your own. Uh, do you see that? Sometimes people like to point to First uh, Corinthians chapter 13, the famous passage on love, but when the perfect comes, tongues will be done away with, but it also says knowledge will be done away with. Are you done learning things? <laughs> You smart? I mean, come on. If tongues is going to be done away with when God comes and knowledge is done away with, what does that mean? That means we now see God face to face and we don't need to operate in mysterious gifts or to do things like that. We don't even need to learn the way we've learned because we're directly in the presence of God. But the Bible is very clear here as we continue reading. Go down now, Acts chapter 2, I believe, to the next passage there in verse 14. As they are now speaking in tongues, the experience is happening. They go from the upper room now to the streets. They're causing a commotion. uh, Then Peter stands up with the 11, raises his voice, and addresses the crowd of Jews who are looking at them like, what's going on? They think they're drunk. He says, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully. Somebody say, listen carefully. Thank you. And the Bible also says about spiritual gifts, do not be ignorant. Listen carefully. Do not be ignorant. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only 9 in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. So what does he do? He now goes back to an Old Testament passage to explain what's going on here. And what does the first part of his quote say? In the, come on, say it again, in the last days. Thank you. He now takes a marker and puts it right at their time and says, last days have started now. Right now, last days. So let me just ask you something. For those who are looking for expiration dates of the gifts of the Spirit, have we exited out of the last days? Have we exited out of the signs and all of the things happening upon the earth? Have we exited out of the last days into the reign of Christ upon the earth, ruling and reigning from his heavenly throne in Jerusalem? He brings it from heaven to, to earth. No, no. We, so we obviously are still in what? The last days. So I like to say we're in the last seconds of the last hour of the last day, but we are still in these last days. So everything he now says to them applies to us. This is the beginning of the last days. I will pour out my spirit on how many people? All people. So there's no expiration date. Your sons and daughters will what? Prophesy. Just the men? No, sons and daughters. Young men will see vision. Old men will dream dreams. Are old men on, only one having fun here? No, young men will get to do things as well. Even on my servants. So what if you're just a servant? Are you included? Yes. And once again, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. And then what does he go to in verse 19? Verse 19. What happens at the end of the last days, the very end? I will show wonders in the heavens and signs on the earth. Can you please continue with me, sir? Below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. Has anybody seen the billows of smoke yet? The sun being turned to darkness yet. Have you all seen that yet? No, so that means that we are not yet at the end of the last days. That's how you know the last days in, with the sun being turned to darkness, and the moon turning to blood, before the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be what? Save. Now, let me say this to my Pentecostal oneness friend who thinks I have to be baptized. Please stay right where we're at. Do not scroll up to that next text, please. End with save for me. I want to stay right here. For everyone who is going to hear the next passage where it says, He now speaking to them says, Well, do the same thing by repenting, being baptized, and speaking in tongues. Those who think that means you have to be saved to do all those things misses verse 21. What do you have to do to be saved? Call on the name of the Lord. Do you think he's going to put the prophet against himself and his advice in the next few moments? He's like, I'm going to quote a prophet that says all you have to do to be saved is call on the name of the Lord. But in the next few moments, I'm going to tell you to call on the Lord, repent, be baptized and speak in tongues. And that's what you have to do to be saved. No, and Romans also takes that same teachings. Romans chapter 10. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, what? Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. And then he goes and quotes this, because everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved salvation is connected directly to your faith and confession of Jesus, nothing else. Now, do good works come from the born-again believer? Absolutely. In Matthew chapter 28, he said, Go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Am I baptizing sinners to become saints or am I baptizing disciples in obedience to Christ? Go and make disciples baptizing them. So when someone is coming to be baptized, what are they? A disciple. When they're coming, they are saved. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord is saved. I have called on the name of the Lord. I'm saved. Now what am I doing? I'm getting baptized with water, and I also want to be baptized with the Holy Spirit and fire. So some groups say all you have to do is be baptized in water to be saved after your confession. But if you want to be more true to it, it would be also speaking in tongues because that is what follows after in the book of Acts. They not only were baptized in water, they were also baptized in the Holy Spirit. But the better way and correct way is to simply see that salvation is distinct from those other things that God will do in your life. And you are to do them out of obedience because you are a disciple. Let's continue on. So the people now in Acts chapter 2, verse 37, they hear this, they're cut to their heart, and then Peter, uh, they said to Peter and the other disciples, "'Brothers, what shall we do?' And now once again, people will hear this and say, "'What shall we do to be saved?' That's not what they say. It's, it's more accurate to say, what shall we do? What shall we do now seeing you're speaking in tongues and that this is a fulfillment of Jesus being the Messiah? Now he's going to take the whole package and present it to them. Repent. Repent. Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. Why am I being baptized? Because I've been forgiven, and I'm showing you that's where forgiveness has come from. Those who think I'm not forgiven until I'm baptized, I cannot be a disciple unless I'm forgiven. They had already been forgiven. If we go back to John chapter 20, it says, he breathed the Holy Spirit on them, and he says, whoever sins you forgive, will be forgiven, whoever sins you withhold will be withheld. And some people now say, well, now we should go to Father Tom. No, because if that applies to Father Tom, and if applies to every single person who's received the Holy Spirit. What that simply means is as believers, we teach the gospel and we can show who's in and who's out by what Jesus said. But the point is, forgiveness of sins is why we're getting baptized as a symbol, as a sign, not so that we can have salvation. But I'm motivated to be baptized for that reason, that I have been forgiven. This is the reason. And and, and let me just say this, because the groups who say you have to be baptized to receive forgiveness, there are some groups that don't believe you have to be baptized in Jesus' name. And the reason why is because they understand in the name of Jesus means by the authority of. So they'll go, hey guys, like we know the oneness Pentecostals are wrong because they say the baptism has to be in Jesus' name, literally, like I baptize you in Jesus' name. And they'll admit, they'll go in Jesus' name, that phrase means for on behalf of Jesus. Like John had a baptism, Jesus had a baptism. So it doesn't literally mean the formula is in Jesus' name. They'll agree with us, but then when it says for the forgiveness of sins, they go, that's literal, that's actual, that's factual. No, from that comma, in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of sin. It is a theological statement summarizing what Jesus has taught us. Jesus taught us to be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That is in Jesus' name, by his authority, in other words. When Jesus said you're forgiven without being baptized to a bunch of people he was preaching to because they believed in him and they were saved, that is why they then got baptized, not to get baptized to be forgiven. Does everybody get it? Otherwise, you make Jesus and the Bible contradict itself. And once again, it says, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. If they had to do all of that to be saved, then the oneness Pentecostal is right. But if the gift of the Holy Spirit is not in terms of salvation, it's what they just witnessed as in power, it makes perfect sense. When you repent and are baptized, you can receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For what? To be an end-time witness in the last days. So when you follow the rest of the book of Acts, and don't let me forget verse 39 here. When you follow the book of Acts, how does the message look like? Does the message look like that you have to repent, be water baptized, and speak in tongues to be saved? No. Because from this point forward, you'll never see those three things happening that, in that order. What you will see is that the gospel always comes by faith. In, in Acts chapter 3, verse 19, just go there quickly with me, you'll see that the message of faith by Peter is always going to be at the forefront. But will you see people being baptized? Absolutely. Will you see other people speaking in tongues? Yes, and we teach this in our one on one discipleship. But let me ask you this. Is there a story in the book of Acts where people get saved and speak in tongues before they're even water baptized? Yes, there is. At Cornelius' house, Acts 3.19, please. At Cornelius' house, while Peter is speaking, they believe are saved, filled the Holy Ghost and start speaking in tongues. And then because of that, Peter says, now let's water baptize them. So once again, the order that we see in the book of Acts is what we would call the consistent order, and that's how it should be. We believe in Christ, call on his name, we are saved. We then should be water baptized because or for the forgiveness of sins. Then we should receive the Holy Spirit and his power to be used as in time witnesses with the sign of speaking in other tongues. Remember, Peter was preaching the repent and be baptized part of Acts chapter 2, verse 38 and 39. And just a a chapter later, he says, repent then, turn to God, so that your sins will be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Well, hold on, Peter. I thought I had to be baptized first. I thought I had to speak in tongues first. Do you understand? You'll never see that pattern moving forward all that we see in acts chapter 238 and 39 is what it will look like consistently consistently for those who get saved water baptized and filled with the holy spirit now the last thing is if you try to make these tongues only known languages we have a problem go to 1 corinthians chapter 14 sometimes people will follow us all the way to this point And they'll go, okay, I'm with you. We're not saved by speaking in tongues or being water baptized. I believe in the triune formula of being baptized in the Father, Son, Spirit. Okay, I believe we have to be disciples. Okay, you know, they'll go there with you. But then these are our good brothers and sisters from different, you know, denominations. They'll say, this was for a time for those that didn't really have a Google app, you know, the translate and all of that. So the tongues were understood in Acts chapter 2. It does say that. They'll say the tongues are then used just as a way of preaching the gospel. They're always understood. So if you're in a church and you're hearing people speak in tongues, 14 please, you're hearing people speak in tongues and you don't understand it, it's out of order. How many have ever heard something like that? Okay, that is incorrect. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1. Follow the way of love, eager desire, eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to what? People, but to God. Indeed, how many people understand them? No one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. So if I'm only supposed to speak in tongues... When I have a supernatural utterance that I know is supposed to be a message to you, then what in the world is Paul talking about here that no one understands them? No one. There must be two applications for tongues, and that is why Paul goes on further to describe the application that happened in the book of Acts, which was a message. So I then say to people who want to kind of try to get us on that and say, Joe, do you, ever, do you always understand your tongue, or does somebody else understand your tongue? Is it a message that you're giving to somebody? And I go, no. And they go, well, you shouldn't speak in tongues at all. I go, well, have you ever spoken in tongues? And then they go, no. And I go, well, I have spoken in tongues by God's grace, and people have understood me too. But that doesn't mean it's going to be like that every time. So once again, we either make the the, uh, book of Corinthians contradict the book of Acts, because Acts says they did understand them, and I didn't get a chance to read it. A a preacher's working hard today. Amen? It's always a tough time when i got to put all this together for a service. Pray for me. Maybe speak in tongues for me, in Jesus' name. Half kid. So we look at the book of Acts, oh, they understood them, so it wasn't, so there's an understanding there, but we're, okay, but then what in the world is Paul talking about? no one understands them. It's not just the one who knows the language because it could possibly be, I don't know Greek. Let's just put yourself in that time. You, you're, you're with Peter and Paul. You're baptized in the Holy Spirit. You don't know Greek, and all of a sudden you start speaking in Greek. Tongues means languages, by the way, glossolalia in Greek. <laughs> that's the language of, of the word there. But it's so like you don't know the language. You start speaking in Greek perfectly. They hear you, and they're like, praise God, I heard the gospel. Okay, if that's what happened there, why is Paul saying here, Look at it, not my words, Paul's words, does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them, okay? So here's where we come as Pentecostals. This is the standard teaching, that there is an application of my spiritual gift that may be a message for you. That's called tongues, an interpretation of tongues, But there's also the prayer language, the communication, the mysterious act of prayer between me and God. So Paul then is very clear, and keep on scrolling because I want to make sure we get to the part where it says, don't forbid speaking in tongues. So it's like after we've taught them everything, they go, I go, well, are we all on the same page? Can I speak in tongues in your church or in your chapel or Bible college? And they're like, no. And I'm like, literally it says right at the end, do not forbid speaking in tongues. Go down to around verse 35. So there's one application. Paul says, if you sense in your heart that what you're speaking spiritually unlearned by you, those sounds and those syllables are a message for other people. Don't do that unless there's an interpreter, lest they think you're out of your mind. Because then you're just going to be like, and they're going to be like, what are you doing? You're going to be like, I'm so spiritual, I'm spiritual, can't you tell? So he says, don't do that unless there's an interpreter. But then... Speak just between you and God, between you and God, the mystery that no one understands. So I say to my friends, okay, can we at least agree with this? I won't speak in tongues to you and give you a message unless I can interpret. Are we all cool? They're like, no, we don't want you to speak in tongues. Therefore, look at the verse, verse 39. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. So your solution to the problem is to forbid it. How is that a solution? Everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. Let's tie it all together. Go back to the notes, please. What does the Bible say? He's going to clothe us with power in the book of uh, Luke, right? Right? Don't leave. I'm going to clothe you with power. He then explains to them in the book of Acts what it's going to look like. You're going to wait in Jerusalem, and then the Holy Spirit's going to come, and you're going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit like you were baptized in water, and you're going to go from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the othermost parts of the earth, and you're going to be my witnesses. You're going to have power. Amen? And then what happens in Acts chapter 2? Holy Spirit comes down. They start speaking in tongues. It doesn't say they get saved. It says they start demonstrating the power, and then what do they do? They start being witnesses. Then people ask him, what should we do to get that? They say, repent and be baptized. Come into the body of Christ, and you can receive that. And right here at the end, verse 21, uh, no, no, go down to the uh, end of Acts chapter 3. He says, this promise is for you and your children and all who are afar off and for all whom the Lord our God will call. So everything that those people got, we now can get. Are you afar off from Jerusalem? Yes. Are you calling on the name of the Lord? Do you want some power? Amen. I said all of that to start an altar call. Hallelujah. Let's get excited for Jesus. So now you've been taught, but I hope that it can be caught. So as Vinnie comes to set up our time here, and, and please, we do not want it superficial either. But I do want to say this have you learned something? Because I don't want to be accused of not teaching what is so important in the body of Christ. If you have questions, we will go over this with you in discipleship. The, the, standard, the standard thing that I would say right now, if you've been taught something that you have at least believe to be true, would be to open your heart to receive. And at, some time, at, at this point, sometimes people say, well, I don't have it all figured out. And what if you're wrong, and what if we have this thing backwards, Joe? What if the Baptist is right or, you know, the Methodist, whatever? Okay, let me ask you this. Do you believe the Scripture that Jesus said, if a father knows how to give fish to a child who asks for fish, how much more so shall uh, the Father know how to give you, the Heavenly Father, the Holy Spirit? Do you trust the Father? Do you think the Father, while you're asking for the Holy Spirit, because you're a genuine Christian, right? Right? Do you think while you're asking to be baptized, filled with power by the Holy Spirit, Jesus is going to allow you to be duped here? I don't believe that. I believe that deception is built upon other deceptive principles. There's nothing here that's been deceptive in the core teaching of Christianity. I'm talking to those who already believe in the Trinity. You believe that baptism is after salvation. You believe that the apostles did signs and wonders, et cetera. You believe you're supposed to preach. In other words, where would we go wrong reading the book of Acts going, Abba, Father, can we do what they did, please? Can we see what they saw? You're not going to go wrong. But I would say this, never be manipulated to do anything. Only do it by your conscience. But I want it to be clear that you don't have to have every jot and tittle, every question answered because I didn't understand it all either. I just uh, Just understood as a young child growing up in this kind of environment that I knew when I got saved that day at my mother's kitchen table at 18, I knew that the Holy Spirit wanted to empower me to be a witness. And that day I asked the Holy Spirit to baptize me and I was filled with the Holy Spirit speaking in our tongues. So I know that it can't have anything to do with spiritual maturity most of you are way more spiritually mature than I was at 18 the day I got saved. So it has nothing to do with that. It has more to do with do you believe there's something good happening here? When you read the rest of the Bible, I believe and you can show it in places like Ephesians and in Jude. this is and Corinthians, this is the standard. As a matter of fact, go to First Corinthians chapter one uh, please verses one through 5. this is like, how we're all supposed to be sons and daughters male and female old and young it's it's not because i heard sometimes people say well maybe i don't have that gift this gift is for everyone when we get to the first corinthians 12 designations of all of those gifts that is something that the holy spirit may give as he wants to some and, and and not to others in the same way for example I may not have a lot of tongues and interpretation. I may not have a lot of miracles, et cetera, but I may see a lot of prophecy. I may see a lot of discerning of spirits. But this gift was very clearly given for everyone. Look at when Paul writes to the Corinthians. He says to them, to the church in Corinth, who are to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be his holy people. So these are saved, sanctified people, right? Keep going to the next verse, four, five and onward. Keep going. For, it says, for in him you have been enriched in every way with all kinds of speech and all knowledge. Keep going. Verse six. And he says here, God thus confirming his testimony about Christ among you. Keep going. It's in this passage. He says you're not lacking in any of the spiritual gifts. Just give me the whole passage if you can, or 7 through 10. So he says in verse uh, verses prior, you're saved, you're sanctified. Now listen to how he says to this entire congregation that none of you are lacking in spiritual gifts. So I don't want anybody in this congregation to be lacking in spiritual gifts. Here we go. Verse uh, 7, therefore you do not lack any spiritual gift. You see how I feel as a preacher? I literally quoted it like five times, but I had to have you see it right up there. Now it's real. But how many know I kept saying it? That's just the preacher in me, man. I want you to see it yourself. Therefore, you, all of you Corinthians, you don't lack in any spiritual gift. This is the basis of all salvation for everybody. So anybody goes, man, I'm lacking in a lot of gifts. I'm lacking in a lot of power. Man, you're not where you're supposed to be. You haven't asked to receive. The Bible says that this is natural to all of us. There's, there's nothing here with rank in this. This is how we should all be, not lacking in any spiritual gift. And, and how can I tell you that it doesn't have with maturity, have anything to do with maturity? You read the rebukes these people are getting in Corinth, and you're like, dear Lord, help them, please. You got them getting drunk at communion. You then have them speaking in tongues one to another. Oh, and they're like literally talking to each other. Oh, that was deep. He says, Listen, guys, I'm going to be honest. You're saved. You are sanctified. And you're not lacking a gift, but I'm about ready to rebuke you in a whole bunch of ways for not doing this right. So don't be like those who say, Oh, I don't know if this is for me. I'm so humble. I'm so humble, Jesus. It's like Jesus is that, like we think of Jesus being that aunt or grandma, abuela, that keeps saying, eat, eat. And you're like, no more, no more. And Jesus is like, spiritual gifts, spiritual gifts. And you're like, oh, no more, Jesus. No more gifts for me. No. Jesus is literally saying, you need this. This is what you need. This is power. Last thing. Sometimes people are like, well, I don't feel it. I don't know how to feel this, feel it, feel it, feel it. Is there anything that we have read in all of the texts that your your pastor has preached today by God's grace, hopefully making some sense in this complicated uh, yet powerful subject, is there anything that I mentioned that had to do with feelings? Feelings. When the Holy Spirit comes, you'll feel good. When the Holy Spirit comes, you'll feel like dancing. You'll feel like shouting. You'll just feel. You'll feel them. You'll feel them. You'll feel them real good. Will I feel the Holy Spirit as I interact with him? Absolutely. But is there one thing dependent? Is there anything, any truth dependent upon feelings? Is God saying to you, I want you to look at a math equation, two plus two equals four, two plus two equals five, and I want you to go with your feelings to find the truth. Is that how you're going to find the truth in a mathematical equation? Which one feels right? I think it's four. I don't know. I'm going to ask my kids as I'm teaching the math, which one feels right? You are not supposed to come to this subject going, where are my feelings at? You may feel something. You may not feel something. I don't care either way. I want you as your pastor, as a teaching elder here, for you to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to be baptized in him like water, for you to have the power to be a witness. That's what I want to see happen in your life. And if there was no signs, then I would say that you received it when you asked for it. But in the book of Acts, as you look for the consistent sign, if there is one, maybe there wouldn't have been one, but there is a consistent sign and every outpouring of the Holy Spirit tongues. And I have it already written out. Sometimes it's tongues praising God and prophecy. Other times it's tongues and prophecy. Other times it's tongues and praising God. But what is the one thing that follows every time a group of people get together and say, I want to be baptized in the Holy Spirit? Tongues.
1: And there's one time where no
0: manifestations are mentioned. It's when they go down to preach. Philip preaches. They got saved, they got baptized. But it says the Holy Spirit had not yet been poured out on them. So the apostles come to lay hands on them, and there's a magician there that has a bad heart. He's there for the money. When he sees, the Bible says, when he sees the Holy Spirit given by the laying on of hands, he asked to buy that gift so that he could use it as a part of his David Blaine magic act. Then the apostles curse him, not the kind of apostles that you see today, but the kind back then. Curse him and say, may you perish with your money unless you repent. Some real preaching there. So then I ask all my Baptist friends, have you received the Holy Spirit so good that somebody wanted to pay to be able to give that to somebody else? I say to the Mormons, have you ever had that where somebody watched what you did and said, I want to pay to bring it to Vegas? Now, I'm not saying this is a Vegas sideshow. I'm just saying whatever that, because that's the only time where we don't see the manifestations. Whenever they're listed, it's always tongues and other things. But where we don't see any manifestation listed, it is so powerful that a magician wants to pay to be able to see that happen. If you go to our website in the search bar and you type in journal. You'll see by God's grace a journal of signs, wonders, and miracles in my personal life because I never want to teach something that I can't lead by example. One time I was in Bible college praying mysteries unto the Lord in tongues. A man from India stormed out. My friend Glenn went to meet him. By the way, most of all my testimonies have one to three witnesses. His name is on there. You can still contact him. Most of our witnesses are still alive. Glenn runs out to the man. What's going on? He said, I thought you guys were crazy. I was raised in a certain church in India to look at you guys performing witchcraft, this speaking in tongues, crazy stuff. I was told to stay away from that. We were fundamental, King James only, whatever. I was told not to not to accept this. But while he, talking about me, was speaking in tongues, he said in my native dialect, I am God, and I have power for you. This is for you. Open up your heart and receive. I've been to India three times and I've heard it another time that while I was speaking mysteries to God that no one could understand, they caught something from what I was saying. Because yes, God still uses the message of tongues even if we don't know. Prophecy. How many of you believe in prophecy? That God can speak things to your heart. I believe that this gift, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, this power is what opens you up to all of those gifts. I remember one time, this one tells on me, I was starting Bible college, the church was less than maybe 20 or 30 people, and some family left or some group left, and it was hard for me, and I'm like, man, we worked so hard a year or two just to get to this point, and now these people left, and I was just about ready to go, these boots are made for walking, and that's just what they'll do, and Metro prays one of these days, these boots will walk over you, I'm quitting, I'm done, shaking it off, I'm going somewhere warm, y'all, I'm going where it actually, the sun shines most of the time. I'm literally in church. You guys ain't laughing. You're like, "Don't leave me, pastor. Don't leave me." That wasn't funny. That wasn't funny, pastor. So I'm literally in church. I am in. I, I am in church. A young lady. Young lady. Just not a position. Not a pastor. Nothing during the time of the word just like we give here which by the way when was the last time you saw that in the Baptist church two or three words given the others judge and listen which is what we're doing while that's going on we just don't let anything happen here so I always tell people you're not even following that part you're not even giving time for the thing to happen the Bible says everybody's got a word everybody's got a song we let all that go down here so anyways we're in the service you know what the young lady does don't go Joe God's telling me don't go Joe and the people wanted, the elders like wanted to calm her down. Hey, shh, what are you talking about? Don't go, Joe. And then she just started screaming it out, don't go, Joe, don't go. Here comes the pastor to the altar, tears down my eyes, and I confessed, I was thinking about leaving, but the Lord had a word for me today, don't go, Joe. And right after that, we started the Bible school, the church began to grow. I believe in spiritual gifts. Not only because, and this is the primary reason, because Scripture teaches it, but I've been whipped upside the head by it so many times. Discerning of spirits. Discerning of spirits. There was one time I was in New Orleans. I worked there for seven and a half years and uh, there was this drunk guy just giving these people a hard time and they were praying for him and as I was walking by to go do some street ministry because they were doing like a homeless by the river kind of ministry the Lord said that guy's just not drunk he's demon possessed go over there and help help them and I'm like number one these people don't know me Number two, the dude definitely looks drunk. Like I don't want to encounter that guy right now. Drunk, one-eyed, willy, homeless. You smell like urine, dude. Right now, I'm not feeling that Jesus. And Jesus literally said, "You go there now, do it." So I walk over there and I'm like, "I know I don't think I, you don't think I could be shy sometimes, but I actually can be shy." I walked over to him and I'm like, oh, uh, "I'm a Bible college student." And I was just watching you guys pray for this drunk guy. This guy right here is looking at me weird. I think he's demon possessed. Can I pray for the spirits to leave? And I just said, in the name of Jesus, if there's, I didn't even know if there was. I was like, if, if there's any evil in this man, set him free right now, Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Ah! Starts screaming and hollering. Boom! Hits the floor. Comes to his right mind. Starts praising God, accepts Jesus, tears flowing down his face. thats I'm just being honest with you. That's how I was raised. I went to a Bible college that believed in these things, that believed in healing, that believed in miracles. I can't see us trying to do this another way, just to pick on our Baptist brothers and sisters again. Whenever I meet them, because I've been at the cemetery, I mean seminary, getting my doctorate, And whenever I meet them and they find out that I'm Pentecostal, they're like, oh, you're here learning with us? Oh, how did that work? And I'm like, I believe in spirit and truth, Bubba. You got some truth. I got some spirit. Let's swap some stuff while we're here. But then I say to them, I mess with them. I go, you're nothing like me, but all your missionaries are. All your local churches in Costa Rica, all them Baptist churches are speaking in tongues. And I am telling you, they'll admit it. They'll be like, yeah, we're always trying to control that because it's breaking out everywhere in Latin America and our mission field in Africa. They always become Bapticostal because you can't hold back the Holy Spirit. These people start reading the Bible. They're like, man, I want some of that. And they asked their professor, and they're, he's like, I don't know. I mean, I'm telling you an honest story. In One of my classes, the professor was a, he, I believe he was Baptist. He was in a conference in Brazil, and they started doing deliverance. The Baptists were casting out demons. <laughs> and they said, Professor, do you want to help? And he said, no, I'm just going to sit and watch you. And then he, that's what he told me. He goes, and that's why I believe in the gifts now. He said, but I don't think they're for everybody. Another one was a president of a seminary in, in Canada coming to be a guest professor, one of the best scholars that we had. He pulled me alongside of himself. He said, you know what? Most of my colleagues, we don't believe in this, and I didn't believe in this for years. Man, I'll cry just telling you this. He said, we don't believe in this. None of us really think this is real. You know, we just stay to the books. He said, but my wife lost her dad and it was a special relationship between them. And as she was in her brokenness, she said one day God just woke her up in the middle of the night. This is the president of the seminary of Canada, one of the major ones. He said she just started groaning, calling out to God with words she couldn't utter. And then she said, God, whatever you need to do in me, do in me. And she said she got filled with Holy Ghost fire, almost like Jonathan Edwards' wife. And then she started speaking in tongues, waking him up. And he's like, I don't know much about it, but I can show you where it's in the Bible. They used to get this back then. And he said, Joe, I believe in it now. And I was like, well, let me lay hands on you and you come get some, Professor. Oh, no, I'm not ready for it. Okay. That's between you and the Lord. But I offered. I said, brother, I'll pray for you right now because it's not on us. It's on the, it's on the Holy Spirit. We're not trying to impress people. And I will apologize because I will take ownership for this movement. I'm a part of it. I will apologize anytime it's been done wrong holy water or for $10 or for a prayer cloth or whatever I will repent for all of that but do you promise to go back to the scriptures and you do what the Bible says amen let's stand up and give it up for Jesus thank you for your time today band and altar workers would you come and just to clear my conscience today this is how we'll end because I never want to be accused of manipulation Sometimes we'll just let it break out. Trust me. We'll start laying hands on people, and you might think we're somewhat um, theatrical. But today, to avoid that, uh, that, that accusation and to show you the purity of my heart, because I truly want some of the new folks just to feel comfortable to receive the ghost called holy today, to be baptized in his power. This is what we're going to do. It's very simple. I'm going to pray a prayer of dismissal after this. If this wasn't for you, and you're needing more study, and you want to have more dialogue, I'm going to have some of our elders in the lobby to either start going through an impromptu Bible study and or numbers, emails, exchange, Berto and some of the, would you get some of the brothers to be waiting out. Let's give it up for Berto. He'll be your Bible scholar today. Okay, so number one, if this was not for you and you're just like, wow, I saw these guys standing up for Jesus and I wanted to attend. This is not where I've been taught. Okay, cool. Just just ask your questions on the way out and maybe we'll see what happens from there, right? Okay, number two, let's say you're here today and you're open but you still have questions. These folks right here are not going to start blowing on you like Benny Hinn. Receive. Whew, receive. Whew, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. They're not going to go there. If you want to start with, hello, my name's Mike. What's your name? Well, I'm Calvin. I was listening to this. I still have a few questions. I'm not sure if it's for me, but I'm ready. I'm ready. Um, what does it sound like? How do I know I've heard another language? What, what do I do? You know, trust me, we're not going to have you say really fast, I should have bought a Honda, but I bought a Toyota, or whatever. I should have bought a Honda, but I bought a... What's the other? Should have bought a Honda, but I bought a... Hyundai. I should have bought a Hyundai, but I bought a Honda. There we go. I bought a Honda, but I should have bought a Hyundai. Hyundai. I can't remember how that goes. We're not going to say, now repeat after me. La, 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 la. And then you say, la, 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 la. we don't do that nonsense here. All you have to see receiving a spiritual gift with a language is the voice of God. If you understand that, we can start there. If you don't, ask some questions. And then lastly, if you just want to run up and say, put your hands on me. I've been here for a while or I've learned about this before and I understand. I want to receive it. Then we'll do that. So everybody get it? We're going to dismiss. And of course, if you do not know Jesus come up to one of these folks here to accept Christ, to be born again, to be confident in your salvation and or anything going on in your life today. We make time for that. Let's pray. Father, thank you for bringing everyone here. Thank you, Lord, that in this place you have met with us already. Your word was preached. May the truth of this word be applied to your people since we learn today about power may we receive power since we learn today that we're in the last days may we be equipped to be your witnesses since we learn today that you're pouring out your spirit on all flesh may our flesh be a part of your outpouring oh God since we learned today that sons and daughters will prophesy o God may there be prophecy in this house oh Lord and since we learn today that God is for everyone whom you call we pray that your clarion crystal clear call today will sound in people's hearts oh Lord that they can receive this outpouring in Jesus name in Jesus name and everybody say amen amen God bless you you are dismissed hallelujah have a great week we love you come on forward as we worship if any of those things apply to you if you just want to hang back and watch that's up to you or worship but you're free to go thank you God bless you have a great week come on up those who want to receive